0: Hey, welcome to the Gentle Rebel podcast where we talk about navigating life's harsher edges with a spirit of compassionate creativity. I'm Andy Mortimer, a songwriter and creativity coach, and I love exploring the power of gentleness and slowness and depth in creating conditions for meaningful change from the inside out. I want to talk about spontaneity this week. I'm not a greatly spontaneous person. I don't think of myself as such. Uh, I wish I could be more spur of the moment, happy to go with the flow many times in life. Uh, The truth is it takes me ages to integrate the idea of change um, into my plans, into my kind of daily, you know, routines and those sorts of things. I'm a compulsive no-sayer. So uh, that's why I think it's going to be fun to think about spontaneity this week. I'm actually reflecting on um, to kind of using some of the stuff we talked about last, um, in in our last uh, Haven Cotter session, in in our discussion last weekend as I'm recording this, Um, and we were talking about spontaneity, reflecting on, you know, what is it, how does it come about, uh, what gets in the way of it, um, and is it a kind of good and desirable thing? Is it something that actually is good for us? Is it something we want more of? Uh, in our lives and, and why and all of that sort of stuff. So I want to kind of unpack some of that in this episode um, and, yeah, kind of explore it in light of the fact that it, we, we, we were looking at it um, in relation to the theme of adventure um, and thinking about it in relation as well to creativity and to play and those kinds of, you know, the deep, slow goodness that we can um, connect with in life you know, I think spontaneity seems like an important characteristic that aligns with adventure and also gentle rebellion. Um, But it can also sound very big and alien, like something that, uh, you know, adrenaline junkies do people who are like, you know, sort of high octane going after big adventures. Um, Yeah. So I want to kind of, I guess, turn that notion on its head a little bit and, and talk about how, spontaneity and the idea, the spirit of adventure, the, the stuff that underpins it, the seed, the kernel, the the idea within it all um, is actually something that we all have um, access to and the capacity to, uh, to kind of m- make more of, nurture and enjoy in our lives. So yeah, this episode is going to be kind of me sharing some of the key takeaways from that Cotter Conversation. Um, and exploring how we might understand spontaneity in a new way that maybe places it as a platform for depth and intentionality and slower rhythms in the face of a world that wants us to just keep acting without thinking or think without acting. Um, You know, I think spontaneity is somewhere different from both of those places, to notice and to receive the invitation to play without being burdened or tied to the obligation Uh, to say yes, and without being sort of overwhelmed to the point where we can't say yes. Grooves, patterns, routines, you know, we need these things for structure and for a foothold in things. And I don't think they are an obstacle to spontaneity. In fact, I think they allow it to happen. So we're going to be thinking about, you know, how can we kind of grow with where we already are, grow out of this place rather than thinking, I need... If, I, if I'm going to be more spontaneous, if I'm going to invite more spontaneity into my life, then I have to sort of make some radical changes. Like I don't think that's true. I think we can um, we can sort of, yeah, move, uh, flow um, kind of ebb in a new direction without it being some like massive radical transformation. I really like Anne C. Holmes definition of spontaneity she says spontaneity is enjoying the moment as it unfolds or experiencing something unexpected with open arms spontaneity is agile adaptable and responsive to new information it's a willingness to go in a new direction at a moment's notice it's a creative burst of energy and she writes it's not completely without restraint someone who is spontaneous tends to take a quick inventory of the big picture before deciding to proceed. And if this step is skipped, one has entered the realm of impulsivity, um, which you know is a kind of high-risk behavior that sabotages follow through and can be rash, erratic and unpredictable. So we're going to get into those differences in a bit. I think, you know, we talked a bit in our, well, quite a lot in our Cota session about these differences between, you know, spontaneity, impulsivity, um, improvisation um, and, and these different things. And, you know, we had a lot of fun dancing through those distinctions. Um, and yeah, I think uh, as well, there is a difference between experiencing a, experiencing an impulse and being impulsive. Um, you know, I think spontaneity and impulsiveness are both uh, kind of the way that we hold an impulse, the way that we react to an impulse, or, or connect with an impulse. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll kind of work our way to that point in a bit. Um, spontaneity strikes me as a as an interesting thing to explore on this podcast because it is. A really important part of slowing down and going deep with processing and creativity and play and kind of engaging with sensitivity and engaging with uh, the quieter parts of our nature. Um, And uh, like it might not seem like an obvious partner of slowness, but I think if we take that definition that Anne Holm uh, gives, spontaneity is allowing ourselves to change direction in creative partnership with an intuitive urge that might include slowing down. That might include stopping, resting. The spontaneous thing might be to say yes to a pause. And I think this is uh, probably quite a radical act in a world that really isn't very good at pausing in meaningful, kind of restful, truly energising ways. And so I've been building these questions into our... Uh, our rhythms over in the Haven, these questions of what do I need? What am I letting go? What is changing? And so these help us to move within three fundamental tasks that I think bring us to a place like that, bring us searching for um, some some changes in our lives, some, some way of sort of reorienting ourselves to what matters most. So that first one, rest, allowing ourselves to say yes to non-activity. Life can lead us through disorientating, uncomfortable, exhausting seasons. It might be the result of a deliberate choice, pursuing something that we desire. It might be a forced shift where we're dealing with an unexpected or unforeseen change in circumstances. Or it might be the result of a gradual transition. Responding to a chain of events over time during a season like that, chances are we've spent a lot of time in stress response mode—in flight, in fight, in freeze, or fawn. You know, highly sensitive people are likely to be on high alert, to be hyper vigilant, to absorb a lot of sensory information as they scan their surroundings constantly. And this is mainly happening below our conscious awareness and builds over time, even a whole life. We might exist in a functional free state where we're numb, but effective and a sustained period like this can ultimately lead to overwhelm and burnout due to persistent dysregulation in the nervous system and tension in the body and mind. This is especially true if we've had little opportunity or we don't know how for the parasympathetic nervous system to kick in and do its thing to bring us back to a deeper calm. And so this idea of rest, true rest It's not a state of apathy or isolation. You know, humans are built to thrive in community and connection with others. Um, And this sort of rest is often the kind of spontaneous need, the thing we need to spontaneously say yes to. So I think it's worth holding that as an option for spontaneity as we begin here. And so linked to that second question, what am I letting go, is the idea of reframing of spontaneously allowing the story to change. You know, stories help us navigate and explain and understand life and the world. Uh, They allow us to interpret events and experiences, position ourselves relative to one another and find meaning and hope in difficult circumstances. But stories can also create and feed less helpful beliefs that we might come to hold about ourselves, about other people, about the world around us. And as a result, they can leave us feeling... Uh, kind of disconnected and alone. I wonder what story you believed about yourself growing up. Stories you maybe still hold on to now. Many introverts and highly sensitive people talk about experiences of feeling misunderstood as children. For example, you know, maybe you're labelled as shy or quiet or too sensitive, perhaps you're seen as rude, standoffish, judgmental. And these stories can leave you... Feeling out of place, feeling like there's something wrong with you, like you don't fit the expected mold, disconnected from ourselves and afraid of or unable to express our authentic feelings and needs and desires it might develop into perfectionism or imposter feelings or a sense of inferiority to others. And we can lose parts of ourselves in, in how we show up for others as well. You know, people pleasing, taking responsibility for the feelings of those around us, playing the role of helper rescuer. These things can make us unable to kind of make requests, admit needs or accept help. So maybe you've been learning what it means for you to be an introvert or a highly sensitive person or another kind of resonant trait that seems to really beautifully reflect how you experience the world. And the idea is like embracing that, reframing the story and finding ways to kind of bring that spontaneity bring that, the what we will kind of explore as um, the the willingness to choose how you want to uh, or what you want to say yes to in light of those things that actually have, have made a huge difference in kind of starting to understand like how you function, your preferences, all of that sort of stuff and kind of bringing those things into alignment. And then the question, what is changing? You know, this idea of, building of creating conditions for spontaneous evolution in a meaningful direction. This is the kind of next step of that, uh, that previous point, you know, we're sometimes encouraged away from trusting our gut, our impulses in the choices and decisions that we might make. We might second guess and overthink things and talk ourselves out of doing what we kind of just know to be right, what we feel, you you know, that I think that is the, the right way uh, or the right decision to make. Intuition is a, an excellent tool to make friends with. It can be a perfect compass for showing us which direction is more likely to bring us that kind of sense of personal fulfillment, meaning, joy. How do you know when you're ready for a season of change? How does your intuition communicate that it's time for something new, an adventure, a fresh challenge, a, a spontaneous yes? You know, maybe an opportunity has appeared. And you're standing nervously at his door, wondering whether or not to open it and walk through. Perhaps you don't know what what it is that you want to do, but you just know, yeah, I I think it is time for me to say yes. Spontaneity isn't a set of things that you have to say yes to. It's not a demand to say yes to every opportunity or invitation that comes your way. I think it's much more nuanced than that. It's a willingness for a yes to be an option. To open the door for a process to occur so that we are acting from a choice rather than a compulsion. And that word, compulsion, is another really interesting one to just think about for a minute. I was kind of working on definitions for these three things kind of exploring here yeah, what's the difference between these uh, they're not perfect definitions um, I'm kind of using them within the context of what we're talking about um, they're not you know medical definitions I'm not a medical professional but I think the, these are a good start for kind of thinking about these things so impulsiveness um, is sort of acting based on an urge with no second thought about the implications or consequences of that action compulsiveness is acting without making a conscious decision. So no thought or choice. You're compelled to do something um, or to do something in a certain way, uh, often to ease and eradicate anxiety in, in some way. Um, and spontaneous is kind of flowing with a new plan or a lack of a plan after deciding that's what you want to do. So you're aware of the potential implications and consequences of, of going with that change of direction. Um or of uh you know, kind of not going in the direction you originally planned to go in and i've become aware over the past couple of years really of a, a compulsive no that i've developed um as a as an internal reaction to almost any request or opportunity or invitation it's something that i've i kind of came to realize that oh yeah that's an interesting thing to observe within um and i i can see it i can feel it in me at times um i'm it's so much less now, simply because I've learned to be aware of it and, and have a conversation with it. It's like, okay, that's interesting. There it is again. Um, so, yeah, it's, and I, and I think that is a compulsion. It's a compulsion um, because it's a, a kind of non-thinking reaction. It's a non-thinking, um, well, action within. Um, an example of an impulsive behavior might be, um, you know, shouting when we're angry. Going along with something that we wouldn't if we actually thought about it for a moment. Uh, Buying things we don't need, can't afford and didn't plan for. Um, Compulsive behaviors, other compulsive behaviors. Things like, you know, going back to check the door is locked multiple times. Uh, Rearranging things to get them just right. Uh, Taking the same route home every day. Counting steps as you go. Things like that. Um, And so both both impulsiveness and compulsiveness can be obstacles to spontaneity. Impulsiveness might appear spontaneous um, in many ways, but it's missing a key ingredient, which is the sense of free will. Uh, Now, we're not going to get into the philosophical minefield of whether or not free will exists Um, for the sake of this context. It's a bit, you know, like it's essentially the bit where we're aware of the choice that we are about to make and we choose it. We kind of own the choice. That, nah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to go down the, the philosophical minefield for, to, to accept that. Um, so the root of the word uh, means, uh, spontaneity, means occurring without external stimulus, acting of one's own accord willingly. So for an action to be spontaneous, there has to be agreement, consent and desire to go with the flow of whatever that thing is. So compulsiveness puts a a seemingly unbreakable barrier between us and spontaneity because the fear of going against the compulsion feels uh, like a no-go. It feels overwhelming, too much to to even consider. And impulsiveness is action before we have chance to let something occur willingly, before we add our will to that moment. Um, There's an external stimulus That we've kind of, you know, we've taken the bait, but we haven't had that second thought. We haven't actually agreed to it. We've just gone with it. Um, And so the great thing about seeing spontaneity in this way is it kind of gives credence to both um, yes and no as spontaneous responses, as spontaneous uh, actions that we can take. We can say yes willingly and of our own accord, and we can say no willingly and of our own accord. And we can recognize the external factors and go along with them, even if we wouldn't choose them, if they serve a deeper vision and value that we hold. So we're kind of we're entering that realm of like um, choosing the response that we want to we want to choose, like whether whether the action itself is something desirable or the action is going to lead to something that we hold as dear, something that we find important, something that, you know, matters to us down the line. And so in our um, Cotter conversation, we were chatting about food as a way to think about spontaneity and impulsivity. Um, and someone in the group was talking about, you know, being in a shop and seeing um, salmon for sale and deciding, oh, I'm going to buy that and can, we can have make a nice meal of that later uh, this evening. Um, and on that same trip, they were unable to resist the packet of cookies on the shelf. So bought the, the cookies, ate the cookies. Um and, you know, I think we talk about impulse buys for a reason, don't we? The thing next to the counter that you pick up uh, just as you're going to the checkout. There's no time for a second thought to occur before, oh, I've, I've just paid for them. You know, have you ever done that in the supermarket where you, you pick up something early on in the, in the trip, something like an impulse kind of pickup? And then by the time you get to the, to the end of the, the shopping experience, um, you, you're like, I'm going to put that back actually. Um, you kind of talk yourself out of the fact that you want it. Um, It's a really interesting feeling to notice. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, Usually the thing's buried at the bottom of the trolley by then and you forget that you picked it up. But um, yeah, it it happens with certain things. I I mean, like maybe online shopping as well. You put something in your basket um, and it feels like, yeah, I I definitely need that. I definitely want that. Um, And then... You know, you put a little bit of space between that moment and coming to actually make the purchase. It's like, actually, no, I've changed my mind. And that that kind of no is then a spontaneous, a spontaneous no. You're, you're sort of taking control of that impulse, that original impulse that that caused you to, to pick that thing up. Uh, anyway, yeah, the salmon is a spontaneous yes. Imagining, you know, what this could make possible later on as a result of, it oh yeah we'll we'll have that lovely uh lovely meal like i'll spend time in the kitchen preparing something like great um so it's saying yes choosing a change of plan for dinner saying yes to the invitation in that moment um, you didn't go to the shop for salmon this is not what you were expecting to eat this evening but it was like an inspirational moment like a it just called out to you when you saw it and not in like a uh you want me <laughs> uh but in a an expansive invitation sort of sense. It is quite hard to articulate these differences, but hopefully you're getting a sense of it. Um, So yeah. And I think it's important to say, I don't think this is the difference between healthy and unhealthy choices either. I think it's about how we hold the choices that we're making. It's about saying yes and owning it. You know, I've had some beautiful spontaneous experiences saying yes to like junk food and, maybe the indulgent choice or whatever um, things that are unplanned but consciously accepted turning into expansive treats rather than kind of uh, I guess otherwise they're, they're like the an appetite driven guilt-ridden moment of weakness <laughs> how you might experience it uh, which I've also done many many times and probably more times in my life um, where an impulse becomes spontaneous when we pick it up and and carry it around for a bit you know maybe literally or just in a sort of kind of metaphorical sense and we just hold it and we look at it and we assess this thing. It's like, yeah, I'm coming to an active willingness in the decision to either put this down or take it with me um, and I'm going to make something of this. I'm going it's, to, it's an active, I'm an active part of this process um, and I think the most telling difference often between impulsiveness and spontaneity is the feeling you have afterwards, which is n- not that helpful when you're making the decision beforehand. But like, we probably all know that that the kind of grimace of regret, um, that where we're like, oh, "I really shouldn't have done that," like, I'm, "Yeah." So, are we are we f- grimacing with regret, or are we smiling with a mischievous delight? You know, even if something was uh, quote unquote naughty. It was spontaneously naughty, full of joy. There was something something wholesome and good about it, uh, rather than the kind of naughty that is like, oh, that's tied to a kind of lack of self control in impulsiveness. It's like, a, oh, really, I really wish I hadn't done that. So let's just think a little bit about spontaneity and gentle rebellion. I associate those two things. I I put those two things together because I think it opens us up to possibilities outside of those compelling forces. You know, it puts us in the driving seat. Spontaneity is a choice and it's the heart of creative spirit and adventure because it is about, you know, allowing the moment to unfold and experiencing something unexpected with uh, receptivity, with open arms, as Anne Holm says. Spontaneity is agile, adaptable, and responsive to new information. It's a willingness to go in a new direction at a moment's notice. It's a creative burst of energy. I mean, it's creativity in action, isn't it? Moving through uncertainty and seeing what happens, what could happen, exploring the possibilities, even though you don't know how it will um, pan out ultimately. The consent to spontaneity is a yes despite uncertainty. It's not a yes once we've been given a guarantee that it's going to be okay, it's going to work out in a certain way. Um, You know, it might not be okay, but we've made the decision fully aware of that. And that's a part of that sort of process. This is the difference with impulsivity again, which leads us somewhere we haven't thought um, could occur But that's quite obviously possible if you take a second glance, if you take a a second thought, it's like, yeah, if you do that, it will more than likely end up like in this position, in this place with this consequence. I think we can sort of take this and, and think about kind of urges and impulses in everyday life. You know, it's not just about uh, the unexpected surprises, it's not about those opportunities that come out of the blue and, you know, are, are an invitation to be spontaneous. I think it's also about the sort of everyday pressures that we might feel um, in an urgent world. You know, the, the energy all around us all the time. And I often think about the, the blessing and the curse of something like goal setting. When we're clear on where we want to go and why it matters to us, goals can be great at helping us formulate a clear plan, um, you know, steps, actions we can take to get there. But when we're driven by a desire to get anywhere but here or to be successful or find happiness or whatever it might be, um, yet we're unable to articulate what we mean by that or why that matters to us, we are at risk of impulsive goal setting. And when we're in that space, we are vulnerable to the lure of, you know, marketing that promises to solve our problems and make our dreams come true. So we might end up just wanting to do something. I just want to, uh, you know, follow the crowd. I'm going to do this. Everybody else seems to be doing this. And it looks like it's, it's like really, that's going to change my life, whatever. Um, or we search for the latest fad, the, the latest must have tool or swear by practice um, that somebody is selling we end up essentially speeding our way to somewhere we don't want to be, somewhere we wouldn't um, choose to go if we sort of gave it that second thought. And so that that impulsive goal setting is is kind of underpinned by this, this sense that, yeah, if you think about it for more than that moment, would you really want to end up where this is going to lead you to? Has that ever happened to you? You know, I've done it many, many times, especially when, um, you know, things feel stodgy or business feels slow and you enter this kind of energy of urgency or scarcity and the desperation starts to kind of creep in a bit you like, oh, i really need to get this like i need answers here i need to sort of move this forward and the thing is like fear is never a great emotional state to be making decisions from you know it, it never feels intuitive in those moments to pause And to reconnect with the important stuff to find the way that we want to go and to surrender to the fact that, yeah, I might not see visible results just yet, but needing to trust that, you know, if we put the right things in place, um, you know, we're, we're unlikely to see instant results. If we're planting the seeds in good soil and we're watering them and we're kind of, you know, diligently sort of doing what we know is necessary to sort of feed that thing, um, we will eventually start to see things sprouting. But if we act impulsively, either, you know, to check that they're growing or we try planting other seeds in the same pot to hedge our bets, or just to feel like we're being useful or to like, I just want to feel like I'm doing something. Actually, we end up sabotaging the whole thing. You know, if we're like looking, you know, sort of get, look in the pot to see, you know, is the seed sprouting yet? Like, I better dig it up a little bit just to check. Uh, those kinds of things. that We constantly, I mean, it's a big temptation to meddle, um, to check, to, yeah, plant extra seeds in the same pot. Yeah, you know, just just in case. But actually the whole thing can become sabotage because, because of that sort of impatience. Another side of this that I'm really uh, interested in is like the acts of gentleness and kindness. Um, you know have you ever had an impulse to say something uh, encouraging to someone but then talk yourself out of it or to do something um, really kind for someone but then you ah, like, oh, no actually and then you end up talking yourself out of doing it what is it that stopped you you know it's quite easy to see why we might talk ourselves out of difficult conversations when we want to uh, make a, a criticism or ask for something that someone might not like, you know, that those kinds of things. It's like, yeah, I can see very much why we talk ourselves out of doing that because it's like, yeah, that's the hard thing. But it can happen at times where we want to encourage too, and we want to sort of do something positive, um, you know, connect with someone in a, in, a, in a way that will make them feel good. Um, at least, you know, it does for me. You know, oh, they probably hear that all the time. I don't want to bother them. They, they won't care what I have to say, you know, those sorts of things that, yeah, no, actually, I'm going to talk myself out of doing that. Um, or it's, it's like, uh, you know, random acts of kindness. Uh, I'm always struck by the absurdity of, uh, of celebrating kindness in that sense. Um, it's, it sounds weird, but like, I think often it's our default state, like, you know, being reasonable and being sort of nice to one another as twee as that sounds, you know, most of us would choose to treat one another with dignity and respect and acceptance. That's, I think, quite a default human position. Not all of us, but most of us. Um, you know, even a lot of people, you're probably thinking right now, well, no, they wouldn't. I know people that no, they wouldn't. I think <laughs> we'd, we'd be surprised a lot of the time, um, especially once you strip back all of the kind of the learnt, the learnt behaviour, the learnt reactions, the learnt ways that we've... Uh, being conditioned to sort of see other people and see things and that sort of stuff actually when we get boil things down to the core of who we are, I think there's a there's quite a default sense of you know reasonableness and kindness and gentleness um, and there's something that creeps in that tells us not to either to just not do or say anything or even to actively flip the urge towards being decent towards our fellow people. You know, I was reading some articles with spontaneous acts of kindness, uh, like things, eight spontaneous acts of kindness to, to give you hope or make you smile or believe in humanity again, things like that. Um, and there's never anything like completely extreme or over the top in these articles. They're, they're always like just decent small things that help somebody have a better day or, or alleviate the pain that someone might be experiencing, um, you know, leaving a note of encouragement, paying a bill, uh, picking something up and taking it somewhere that means the person's going to find it. Like if they've lost something or whatever. Um, and many of them have, you know, a simple core to, the, to to them in this sense, like a compassionate core, like seeing the other person as a person, realizing oh, there's, there's somebody else here, like that em- empathic, sense if if i was in that position yeah that that would really kind of contribute to a pretty bad day um so it's kind of alleviating or lessening the pain of a potential crisis you know handing in car keys that someone left in their lock or uh paying for a parking ticket i, I saw one someone paid for a parking ticket that someone had got in a hospital car park and things like that simple things as i say I think it's weird that we find these noteworthy. Um, You see things that do the rounds on social media, you know, ordinary compassion that is seen and celebrated as this like weird thing, this triumph. And I wonder what has happened to us, Um, like societally, collectively, I don't know, to make these default ways of social engagement, to turn them into anomalies rather than sort of just like yeah shrug your shoulder normalities um which i know they are in some senses and maybe it is a social media thing but still if it was normal i I, i'm not sure we'd have quite the same reaction um when when we kind of read about these sorts of things so so what stops us from doing these spontaneous acts of play um and gentleness and kindness and compassion when we when we don't do them <laughs> I'm not saying that uh everyone that's listening to this doesn't do them but i'm I'm just kind of aware that we we do t- talk ourselves out of a lot of things um and our second thoughts are massive in this you know most of us probably experience the urge or the impulse to do the thing to do something it's like, yeah, actually, I really want to do that, but then we have the second thought, perhaps like the ones I said earlier about not wanting to bother or encroach, uh, feeling like, well, you know, I don't want to sort of get too much in somebody's face or whatever. Um, we might be afraid of what people will think. You know, what if we get it wrong? Those kinds of things. Or it might be, well, normally I would, but I mean, I'm in a rush today. So normally I'd, you know, stop by and help that. But I'm in such a rush, um, which is valid. I am i don't mean <laughs> to make that sound like I'm belittling that. But, um, or like, I wish I could help, but I've got so much to do today. You know, these things that, these second thoughts, these reasons, these justifications that, that, we, that we have for not doing the thing that occurs to us, the thing that actually is that urge, is that impulse. Um, and so spontaneity is the third thought. It says, I've assessed the lay of the land, I understand the implications of doing this, and I choose to give myself to this little change of plans. You know, it takes us through that second thought takes us beyond that second thought and back round really to the first thought with some added inner consent. Um, and this isn't easy, especially if we are maybe compelled to say no or to distrust certain people. Like maybe we've been taught to respond to opportunities for connections in, in different ways through our life. Um, and some of them are very uh, valid kind of reasons for distrusting people. Um, maybe we've learned to see it as a burden in the sense of transactional thinking like I wouldn't want someone doing that for me because I'd then owe them maybe we sort of reason it that way or what if they don't pay me back Uh, don't be so soppy they'll think you're an idiot if you go and tell them how much what they did meant to you we all have different stories playing in our minds around this stuff don't we I I wonder what yours are Um, if indeed you have any, maybe, maybe actually this is not a problem for you and you sort of like are able to re- respond to that, to those urges with spontaneity and you spend a lot of your life doing that. If so, I'd love to know the secret. Uh It'd be great to hear from you. Um I'm going to finish this episode later with a, a narrative soundscape that I created as part of, um you know, setting up the, the month of adventure in the Haven, which kind of gently holds this tension that we might feel. Um, you know, I want to, I want to move down that trail. I want to go down that thing. I'm drawn to that, to saying yes to the, to the adventure, um, to the opportunity, to the invitation, but I don't have time. There's too many things that I, you know, I can't waste time on unproductive things. I need to get home, whatever it is. Uh, I'm too needed elsewhere to make this little spontaneous detour. Um, I guess it in, Im- Implicitly uh, sort of poses the question about you know how true is this story where's this story coming from you know whether we're turning down the invitation to be alive and present in this moment because of of some kind of made up belief that we are telling ourselves like again coming back to that question I, I mentioned earlier like you know what are we letting go what's changing what do we need so holding these things with a sense of dynamism, a sense of actually, you know, this could change. I could let go of certain things here and just being aware of what is it that I'm holding here? What is it that is holding me? So before we get there, uh, and I share that that soundscape um, meditation, I want to just pick up on a couple of other things that we talked about in our Haven Cotter where we're discussing this topic. Um, and I shared a, a quote by Edward Slingerland Who's the author of *Trying Not to Try*, the art and science of spontaneity? Um, who, yeah, he's got some really interesting things to to share on this uh, subject. And he said we overstructure our lives and plan too much. Most people don't have any gaps in their day to play. And I thought it's a really great sort of way to frame spontaneity, like certainly with play and also the gaps, the importance of those gaps that invite, that allow the invitation of spontaneity to, to kind of take root. Um, and he also talks about the fact that we learn that spontaneity is an important characteristic um, that, that everyone kind of possesses the capacity for. I think we all have the capacity for it in some, to some degree. Um, and there's studies in cognitive science that point to it being a source of trust because um, it's like a, a, a kind of gluey thing in, a, in social connection between people. So we're attracted to spontaneity in others because it makes them seem more trustworthy. So less calculating and cold. Um, This is a really interesting thing to consider Um, and something I've been sort of, yeah, reflecting on a lot, uh, especially when thinking about like figures that we're drawn towards believing and believing in, Um, you know, those who make it appear that they're kind of adaptable, they're able to flex, they're, they respond on the fly. They're, these these are people who are, you know, often charismatic. They're able to build rapport. They're, they seem more alluring. Um, and, you know, think about why so many politicians are distrusted. And the ones that people uh, kind of gravitate towards and even really admire and love. You know, whatever you feel about their politics, I'm pretty sure there's something in this. You know, the perception that they... Are able to improvise at times. the The fact that actually they they're a bit more human, they're a bit more relatable. That, that we might experience them as not having a cold and calculated agenda, but actually, the most cold and calculating people are probably uh, aware of this human trait and they play to it. And um, I think actually it's unfair to say cold, m- the most cold and calculating, but like it's something that can be uh, can be sort of played on. Um, and it's possible to see this in the world of entertainment in a, in a kind of non uh, non sort of harmful way, I suppose, um, to perform in such a way that gives the impression that the performer is doing it for the first time. You see this, don't we, like, you know, comedians and musicians, if you follow them around on tour, you realise that the thing that they said and you thought, oh, that you know. They're just making it up as they go along on the night that you went to see them. If you if you go and see them on other nights as well, you realise oh they say the same thing in more or less the same way every single night, um, and it, yeah. So it's it's something that we can do, and and it's something that we can sort of create a false perception of is, is spontaneity, um, and and improvisation as well. Research shown we're attracted to people who are spontaneous because we have a feeling that they're not faking it. You know, what they say is who they are. Uh, and we pick up on signals that tell us that someone is faking it. Uh, obviously, they, those receptors are not always uh, accurate. Um, the other reason I was drawn to Slingland's book was that spontaneity itself requires us not to force it. and um, I was reminded of a, a quote from uh, Michael Rosen's book of play. Uh, where he says sometimes our preparation might come in handy but sometimes it's the opposite our plans can trip us up we're so well prepared for one eventuality that we can't react quickly enough when things change um and so we were we were kind of thinking of like the idea of making the most of every day um and and this is an idea that we might think of spontaneity as, as being this kind of uh when we're spontaneous we take every opportunity we make the most of of life and all of that sort of stuff and while there's certainly an element of that to be found there there's also a a a potential trap that takes us beyond our own control where we're saying yes because we feel obligated to there's a fit the fear of missing out can lead us to appear like we're sort of living a very spontaneous fluid life but actually there might be a a real kind of sense of anxiety driving that like a spirit of panic in the face of our own uh like the limits of our own time and mortality even rather than a yes that is willing willingly and of our own accord um we might close ourselves off in fact to true spontaneity by trying to cram our lives with with adventures by making the most of every moment um sound like a paradox maybe it is um if our openness to spontaneity leaves us feeling guilty when our gut tells us to rest then we're probably not saying yes to things willingly and of our own accord we're more than likely being led by the pressures to to make the most of everything um, and that's a an endless sort of cycle it's a thing that can never be truly satiated um, and that's a road to ultimately to impulsiveness you know getting where you don't want to go faster and then ultimately um, to to burn to overwhelm and burnout. So to finish, let's just think about some uh, potential sources of spontaneity and some potential, you know, places, uh, environments where we can nurture and and practice and experiment with spontaneity in and around our lives. You know, where can we look out for it in everyday life? It obviously starts within as that kind of willingness to go in a different direction to maybe an original plan. Um, And as we begin to get more comfortable with that space, no, like, uh, I think the starting point is recognizing that it's an option. The, ch- the choice is something we can do, even if we end up choosing not to do it. So spontaneity exists in the space between the stimulus and the response. It's an invitation. It's a, it's a possibility. It's that, that kind of invitation to choose. People are sources of spontaneity. People we trust, you know, spending time together, being open to what might happen. Um, not planning every last moment, every last detail, seeing, you know, I, I guess putting those gaps as, as Slingerland talks about, um, the gaps that we can put into uh, the day that allow spontaneity to be an option. You know, I don't know about you, but I have some spontaneous people in my life and, and it's great having them there because, um, you know, I'm really, as I said earlier, not, particularly spontaneous Um, and there's people that I really trust who are massively spontaneous and they just encourage you to look at options that you wouldn't consider when you're on your own and they just make make those potential avenues occur and they provide a a kind of foundation and it's a safe foundation for memorable uh, adventures and the stories that you'll be telling later on and so I really value those people in my life boredom is another source of spontaneity Again, talking about the gaps. Uh, we are chronically overstimulated. The gaps are shrinking and shrinking. Um, the modern world is over entertained and fed stuff. We, we could be constantly entertained, constantly consume stuff. Um, and there's never any real reason to be bored in the sense of, uh, having the space in our minds to ask, you know, what could I do with this? Um, What could I do with this moment? What could I do in this gap? What can I do with this object? You know, we hold most things with the question, what can this do for me? And there's a subtle difference there, but it places the onus on the object to entertain us. It says, you know, okay, I'll buy this thing. What's it going to do for me? As opposed to having something in front of us and saying, oh, what could I do with this? What could I do with this? That leads us down creative avenues. It helps us to, um, or it provides space for us to connect ideas together, to see what might come as we go. Creative mistakes are another source of spontaneity. Rather than saying, well, that's ruined. (laughs) If we make a mistake, to flow with it, to integrate it into the work somehow, to ask, how can I make this part of what I'm doing? You know, we talked about this with, blemishes and stains in a painting for example like a maybe a tea stain you <laughs> put a cup of tea down. i don't know why you do that but if you put a cup of tea down on your work uh, and you realize oh whoops um and it's like okay that's now a part of this painting how can i integrate that um again in a chronically perfectionistic world that's afraid of failure the gentle rebellious gently rebellious thing to do is to go with the flow of failure and to see where it takes us You know, listen to so many well-regarded artists across different forms and they will talk about this as sort of like integral to their creativity, not something they necessarily seek out, but something that they always just flow with. They absorb as part of the process. Talk about how happy accidents and the fact that, you know, something went on to be an iconic feature in a piece of work actually emerged from a complete mess up that was a, a mistake that then led to like, okay what can I do with this um, you know a, a sort of faulty bulb that made an eerie atmosphere in a scene in a film or a wrong note that was played in a piece of music that then was like oh hello um, or a singer forgetting his lines Frank Sinatra um, there's countless examples of spontaneity and cre- creativity through um, mistakes happy accidents. Other sources of spontaneity, creating options out of what you already do, you know, go a different route, uh, use the other end of the drumstick, uh, eat dessert before the main course, whatever, like do things that remind you that the patterns you've come to see as truth are only options. Um, They're only patterns. Um, Free yourself up to see the world through the lens of options. It might leave you doing exactly the same thing that you're doing right now, but at least it's like, you know, I'm choosing to do it. I'm aware that uh, like that th- this, these are, this is an option rather than um, like something I have to do. Uh, yeah. So I'd, I mean, I'd love to hear from you on this. If there's anything that that kind of you do uh, to invite more spontaneity into your life, um, or if this is something that you feel is a challenge, something that you'd like to, uh, to really uh, explore and nurture more spontaneity into your life. Um, because you feel like oh, there's something there's something really limiting about the way that I, I'm kind of struggling right now. Then please, please do get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Uh yeah, send me a, a message via the website, andymort.com, or um yeah, get in touch via social media. Um and yeah, as as promised, I'm gonna leave you with a, a narrative soundscape that I created at the start of our month of adventure in the Haven. Um I was kind of thinking about how adventure is a seedling it's an acceptance of the invitation or an acceptance of the presence of an invitation a curiosity a small quiet yes a whispered yes it might give rise to high octane experiences or it might give rise to a small detour the adventure comes from the same place a spirit an acceptance, a willingness to choose that yes, or at least to recognise that yes is an option. And so, if you enjoy this and you want to hear more, uh, I'd love to welcome you into the Haven, uh, which is a, a virtual sanctuary that provides refuge for weary travellers and sensitive souls looking for a calmer rhythm. You know, friends who get them and a deep breath of playful creativity. It's an invitation home. For those seeking inspiration, encouragement and support as you nurture a meaningful and sustainable life alongside other people who who just get it. It's a space where you can safely put down your armour and allow yourself to breathe. Your imperfections, ordinary silliness and unique depths are welcomed, respected and embraced. It's somewhere to reconnect with your ageless, constant self, to release and rewrite the stories, to sink into a state of rest And build yourself and your physical world from the inside out. You can learn more at the-haven.co or find a link in the show notes for this episode. Uh, And I'd love to, yeah, see you in there um, soon. Okay, and until next time, remember that even when it appears not to be, gentleness can always be an option. Take care.
1: Bye-bye. Take a moment. Slow down. Pause. Take a breath. Take a breath. As you're about to take your normal route home, you turn the corner and your eye is caught. You notice a track. It looks like it goes round the back of the buildings in the Haven Village Square. You've gone this way before, but never noticed it until now. Maybe it was the way the sun bounced off a leaf on the ground. Something got your attention.
0: This is not a deliberate path, it wasn't put here, it's been worn by wanderers, created through curiosity and the acceptance of an invitation
1: to explore.
0: You move towards it, intrigued, but then you tell yourself that you should be getting home. There's no time for unnecessary detours and silly adventures.
1: But as you reach it, you feel yourself moving towards it, along it. Something inside you seems to have already said yes.
0: Although it's a bit uneven, path is firm underfoot, your ankles are tickled by long grass reaching out to say hello as you wander past, you keep going, something
1: is pulling you along, are you moving towards it, moving away from something? gentle force is holding you, carrying you, keeping you. You pause for a moment to take another breath. Glancing backwards, you can see where you came from. It looks different from this angle. It's like the world has shifted a few degrees. As you take a few more steps you notice the path is welcomed by a group of trees at the entrance to a wood, a forest.
0: The sun sends light bouncing, fizzing, sparkling between gaps in the branches and leaves.
1: You begin to take steps into the forest, accepting the invitation. Allowing yourself to be welcomed, you are safe, you are present. Take a deep breath and look around you, what do you need, what are you letting go, what is changing? you see what can you hear take a deep breath in through your nose what can you smell close your eyes what sensations can you feel on your skin, in your heart, in the core of your being. As you surrender to this moment you are aware of the rhythms and ecosystems in the world around you beneath the ground, in the canopy above your head and in the nooks and crannies that are hiding in plain sight. look closer what is happening? what's the story here? you continue to move through the forest breathing it in noticing seeking without forcing
0: Your mind to wander as your attention catches its sleeve on things in the environment around you. You look up and notice a plume of smoke dancing above the trees. You see, as you reach a small clearing in the forest, this is coming from the chimney of a round wooden hut.
1: As you move towards the hut, you see a sign outside A refuge for weary travellers All are welcome You're compelled to open the door Something inside you Accepts the invitation met with a welcoming warmth and a smell of home-cooked food and a crackling wood fire. Someone is in there. They look up, smiling softly, and give you a welcoming nod before returning their attention to the notebook they're holding. They are drawing writing
0: reading you can't quite make it out but there is comfort in this moment ease in their demeanour
1: confidence acceptance
0: after a while they look up again and offer you a drink pointing to an array of mugs on the side
1: you see there's a whole selection to pick from you begin to pour the liquid, you hear the words, I was hoping you'd show up. How did you know I might, you ask. I didn't, but I'm glad you did, they respond. You talk for a while about what you've
0: seen as you've wandered through the forest. They show you a drawing they made of a bird they saw earlier, and you share a few stories
1: about home. After you finish your drink, they tell you there might be some other people coming along soon.
0: You're welcome to stay and I'll introduce you, or if you're not in the mood for other people right now, I'll direct you to a fun route back to the village square through
1: some beautiful forest scenery. get back to the village and pop
0: into the cafe before you go home. The person behind the counter asks you if you've been to the cotter. I don't know what it is but you've got that look in your eyes, he says as he offers you a cup of tea before you leave. You find a cosy nook in the cafe where you write in a journal
1: about the unexpected detour you've just taken. what do you need, what are you letting go, what is changing